Thank you, Kelly. I'll be reading Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. Obviously starting at verse 1, page 1176 of the Church Bibles. Sorry, let me try that again, 1776. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks very much, Jeff, and good morning all. My name is Cam Maxwell, if we haven't met. I'm the campus pastor here at Tonsley. And just a quick couple plugs from me as well. We've heard about life. Uh, John, uh, John and Pam and Mike told us about that. Uh, this afternoon, a youth uh, here and at Colonel Art Gardens are starting their own version of life. It's a three-week life course for youth. Um, I think most of them, uh, our regulars at youth will know about that, but there's some little cards on the table there. Uh, if you know of someone who might be interested in that, or just, I'd tell you really for your own prayer, actually, to pray for our youth and their leaders as they take, uh, yeah, take three weeks out of their program to go through the life course. Um, and also, uh, growth group leaders, uh, there's two King studies available from the table just over there if you wanted to pick up a group, uh, pick up a stack for your group before uh, yeah, a two King series gets off underway next week. Well, uh, you would have heard about uh, the cost of living crisis, of course, but are you aware that in Australia uh, we have something of a volunteering crisis? Uh, over the last 20 years or so, the number of Australians who volunteer their time, their services, uh, to help out in community organisations, uh, that number has plummeted and it, it just keeps going down. Uh, I've, I've had conversations over the last few years with uh, different people in different community organisations, all saying the same thing, we just can't find people to help anymore. Something's changed. As those conversations are happening, I sort of find myself biting my tongue and sort of nodding along, pretending to agree with them, because I'm just thinking the whole time, you clearly don't know the people I know. 
You should see the number of people at Tonsley every single week uh, generously throwing their time, their energy, uh, their money even, uh, into serving one another in the most incredible ways. Um, every week, uh, even in the bitter, uh, bitter cold of winter, from 8 o'clock onwards, uh, here on a Sunday morning, a sacred time in Australian culture, on a Sunday morning, there's a hustle, uh, there's a bustle, there's laughter and energy here as, as people get underway serving one another. It takes uh, about 30, at least 30, uh, volunteers uh, each Sunday to make these gatherings run, as they do. Uh, that's a lot of people. Uh, things like setting up, playing music, doing kids' ministry, many things. Uh, and often things that require not just time on a Sunday morning, but preparation during the week as well. And it's a different 30 people every week, volunteering, helping out, serving. Uh, which means there is something very different going on here than what's happening uh, in our wider country, isn't there? Um, today what we're doing is something a bit unusual for us. Uh, normally we have a series work through a part of the Bible week by week, but today we're doing just one standalone sermon on the topic of giving. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Top, topic of serving. We're talking about serving today. Not part of a series, uh, just one sermon. If you're bracing yourself for a, a guilt trip at this point, uh, don't worry. I would consider it a great failure if any of you go away from here feeling guilty for not doing more. Uh, this is not at all about getting uh, you to sign up for teams or to fill holes around the place. It's actually the opposite. Uh, I want us to keep being encouraged by the many, many good things that are happening and to keep thanking God for them and keep growing uh, in the way we serve. I want to take us through uh, this wonderful part of the Bible and see what it says about serving each, serving each other. Uh, and that's something we want to do regularly. Uh, the topic of serving is so important to think carefully about, uh, given our culture, uh, the, the Australian culture we find ourselves in. Uh, we want to have careful attention to um, our culture and our motivations as a church community. Because it strikes me that the volunteer crisis in Australia must boil down to those two things, uh, culture and motivation. Why aren't people volunteering? I think it boils down to those two things. And so we don't just want to drift along, do we, being influenced by our wider culture. Um, we want to be influenced first by God's word. Uh, we want to keep protecting and nurturing and growing a healthy culture and keep checking in on our motivations, uh, just continuing to serve each other in the right kind of ways, in, in a really remarkable countercultural kind of way. Uh, if you're new, if you're visiting this morning, a really big welcome to you. I should say, more so than most weeks, this is much more of a sermon about how things um, happen here uh, in our local church. Um, so I do hope your time with us isn't feeling like you're just from the outside looking in. Uh, I do hope that instead you'll see something really, uh, really precious, not just about this church community, but something, something so central about the Christian faith. Uh, if you can work out why people would give up their Sunday mornings and serve hard, uh, you've worked out a really key part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, before I push on, though, I should let you know, uh, Jamie Seafang, who's um, a campus pastor at a church down the road at Trinity Church, Colonel Art Gardens, he preached a fantastic sermon on this passage, on this topic a few weeks ago. Uh, so very much encourage you to listen to Jamie's sermon online. Uh, today, I'm shamelessly, uh, but with Jamie's blessing, uh, shamelessly drawing heavily from his sermon, uh, which means, of course, if you hear me say anything helpful or insightful uh, or beautifully or poetically phrased, uh, you can assume that's Jamie. Uh, and the rest, you can assume, is me. Uh, people on the outside who look in at a church like this, I think, probably assume all sorts of things about the motivation of Christians. Um, so I want to start with a bit of myth-busting, I guess. I think the classic and the tragic error that people assume about Christians is that we do things to make God like us. 
or because we're scared of God. We need to prove ourselves to God. Uh, and no, that's not at all the case. Uh, earlier in this letter, Paul has this extraordinary thing to say to Christians. This is in Ephesians 2, verse 8. It'll be up on the screen next to me. Uh, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, as that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that passage and uh, that, that kind of uh, really big idea is, is really at the heart of what we hold dear as God's people. Grace. Uh, grace is all about the favour of God. We haven't earned that. We haven't deserved that. Uh, but God has shown us his incredible grace through, the, um, uh, through Jesus. He saves us through our faith in him, which means eternal life. That wonderful blessing of eternal life is something we receive by faith and not something we earn through doing good stuff. Uh, we Saved by grace, and then we get it on and do what God has made us for. It's never the other way around. Doing good works will not save us. God is who's going to save us, and he already has through his, uh, uh, through his generosity, his great kindness in giving us Jesus. Now, once we have that major gospel building block in place, uh, it really knocks down a lot of false motivations, the sort of things that might otherwise motivate us to serve in a church community. Uh, for instance, when you know grace, you realise we cannot be motivated by guilt to serve. It means we should never really feel guilty when we can't serve as we would like to. Uh, perhaps uh, there are people here who you look around and go, I wish I could serve like I used to, or uh, like, I wish I could serve in a different way uh, in a different, if I was in a different season of life. Uh, things like health and children coming along does really change our capacity we can feel guilty from time to time, but hear me say, uh, guilt won't get us very far. It actually goes against who we are as the people of God who are on about grace. Well, maybe uh, people looking in at a community like this might assume that, well, maybe people serve just to keep the staff team happy. Uh, or worse still, uh, we know sadly of many, uh, many experiences where pastors bully uh, and manipulate people to get, stuff, uh, to get people to do stuff. Um, I want to say, may God judge me ever so severely if we go down that path as a church. Uh, that, again, would be going against God's grace, wouldn't it? So a far better reason, uh, perhaps one of the best reasons to serve, is to reach new people uh, with the great news of Jesus. Uh, so, for instance, serving a coffee on a Sunday morning is it's a fantastic ministry, isn't it? Uh, because there are always new people here at church, and uh, you could be on the coffee team one of uh, the first people to extend a caffeinated welcome uh, in the name of Jesus to someone new at church. It's a great reason to serve, mission. Uh, it's biblical, and it's uh, a big part of why we do things the way we do. However, really interestingly here in Ephesians 4, that's not the reason. Mission is not the reason Paul gives us. He doesn't also uh, tell us about somehow paying our dues. We should serve because, you know, that's what you do. You need to, there's some kind of price of membership, of belonging at church. Um, Ephesians 4 shows how serving each other is so much bigger and so much more beautiful than just getting jobs done. Uh, it's actually really less about what we do as a church and more about what God is doing, not just in this world, but throughout the universe. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 10... Uh, we sort of see what Ephesians is all about. Um, it reveals that God's cosmic plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. That's chapter 1, verse 10. That's God's plan. Bizarrely, 
but stunningly, God's world-changing, demon-terrifying, Jesus-glorifying work starts at church. Might not make sense to us, but the church is how God is showing off, not just to the world, but to the supernatural world as well. He's showing off how wise and powerful and gracious he is through churches like this one. How? Um, How do those lofty plans, those cosmic plans God has, how does that have anything to do with our our week-to-week name tags and sack truck experiences of church? Well, uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul spells out for us how that reality hits the road, how the rubber hits the road here. And one of the first concrete things Paul talks about is how we serve each other. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, here's the big idea today. The body, the church... It grows up into the reality of what Jesus has saved us to be precisely by serving as the body. So the church grows up into the reality of what Jesus has saved us to be precisely by serving as the body. I mentioned earlier it takes about uh, 30 different people each week to make Sundays happen. Uh, So each Sunday it's a wash uh, with people serving uh, in ministries. Uh, That's not to mention as well the way people serve during the week in our growth groups and at our youth group. Uh, There's also alongside that an unquantifiable wealth of informal ministries uh, that happen in our community here on a Sunday and through the week. That random encouraging text message, uh, hospitality, uh, giving lifts to those who need it, and the crucial ministry of praying for each other and and for our church. So much going on, and Ephesians 4 gives, I think, the cosmic explanation for that ministry buzz. Uh, It's all because the risen, victorious Jesus is a generous giver. If you have your Bibles open, you can have a look at verse 7 here of Ephesians 4. Paul says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Uh, The image here is Jesus as a conqueror, dividing the spoils of war, and he's dishing out the gifts uh, to each one of us. Each one of us. No one who belongs to Jesus lacks a gift from from Jesus. Uh, Isn't that great? But since Jesus' battle wasn't against a nation, but against sin and against death and against the devil, uh, the spoils of war look quite different. So have a look at what Jesus gives uh, in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Now, good debate uh, what those different roles mentioned in verse 11 involve. Like, what does an apostle do? What does an evangelist do? The big thing to notice, though, is that what these people do. Uh, Jesus' gift to the church is people who speak his word. The thing that the church needs most is God's word, and Christ gives us people who speak God's word. Uh, What a precious gift that is. Uh, To have that word in the Bible from uh, the the apostles and the prophets written down for us, and to have people like uh, pastors, evangelists and teachers who open up that word with us and show how the gospel changes everything in our lives. Uh, Paul goes further than that though, doesn't he? Those gifts from Jesus are meant to keep on giving. And do you notice here uh, in verse 12, uh, they're gifts with purpose. Jesus gave the gift of people who speak God's word. Why? Well, is to equip his people for works of service or the work of ministry. It's the same thing, works of service, works of ministry. Now, there's a small phrase, uh, but it has huge implications for us. So here's one implication. I think this helps us be really clear as a church. Uh, what are the ministry staff supposed to do? Well, what's our job? And also, what is the congregation supposed to do in a church? 
Uh, in the background, of course, uh, consumerism is just the air we breathe. Uh, we're trained, aren't we, to expect goods and services for our benefit in exchange for our money. Uh, on top of that, I think rightly, we value professionals in our culture. Uh, we pay the experts to do a good job for us. But can you see how different this is in Ephesians uh, chapter 4? The pastor or, or the minister uh, isn't supposed to do all the ministry. The pastor is meant to equip every member of the church to do the ministry, uh, be equipped through God's word to do that. Uh, now, churches cannot so often get this wrong, uh, where the congregation assumes that they give the money so that the staff, the professionals, uh, can run things and provide great services for them. Uh, the pastor, the professional, will come and give the partial care when it's needed. That's not at all, it is it? Uh, when you look here, um, we all minister to one another. To put it another way, it's not the congregation's job to help the staff it's not the congregation's job to help the staff run church. That's all kind of back to front. It's the staff's job to equip you to do ministry. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, I reckon chances are on, uh, in some churches, with some church staff teams, congregations probably aren't that motivated uh, to help their staff. But it's worth pointing out, we have a really lovely staff team. You've got Joe, you've got Kelly. Even I can sometimes seem lovely. Um, and you see us working hard... Uh, you see me looking frazzled and kind of running around all over the place. And so when we ask you to serve, you think, well, how can I say no? Yeah, out of great care to the staff team, you might think, sure, I'll, I'll help you. But can you see how back to front that actually is? Your job is not to help the staff team. I want to say it is, of course, great. Uh, I'm so thankful to be part of a church where people do care and express concern for how I'm going, how the staff team are travelling. It's brilliant. I'm really thankful for that. But just keep remembering, it's not the congregation's job to help the staff. Uh, that's getting things um, back to front. Our job is to equip, uh, to encourage, to train, and to release you into serving one another. So please don't be motivated to serve because it makes my job easier. So a confession time from me. Um, I really like things running smoothly. That's not a bad thing. Uh, but I want to know there is a danger for a church like this uh, where your pastor, me, used to be an engineer. Um, I have some skills in manufacturing. I can sort of look at a system and I can tinker with things and get them ticking over nicely. I like things running smoothly. That's not a bad thing in itself. It's helpful to be organised and, and some, have some structures. But sometimes what that can mean for me is rather than involve other people in things, I'll decide it's going to be better if I just do this myself. The system will run smoother. Uh, the machinery will be operating better. Uh, the outcome will be far quicker and possibly better if I, just don't do it, if I just do it myself and don't involve others. I can justify it that way. You realise, though, the reality of what's happening there is I'm robbing you of ministry opportunities if I hog it all to myself. So there's a danger there. Second confession, uh, we as a staff team really care about you. That's not the confession. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you know that. Um, but what that means is we can sometimes let our care for you be the reason to not reach out and offer you opportunities to serve. Uh, because out of our care for you, we don't want to burden you when we know life is busy and it's stressful. But again, uh, that's getting things back to front. That would be us robbing you of the agency, actually, of working out for yourself prayerfully the best ways you can serve with the capacity God has given you at the stage of life you're in. There's another big implication to draw out here, and it comes from seeing that um, from verse 12 onwards, 
we see that works of service have a real purpose. They're not uh, sort of just random things we do. Uh, from the verse of, uh, rest of verse 12 onwards, we see that works of service are for building up the body of Christ. That is, they're not just random acts of kindness, good that they are. What that means is we're not about rogue ministry, uh, where it's all about me discovering my gift and then using that gift no matter what. It's actually one of the great gifts Christ gives his body is the gift of humble willingness. To say, I really love doing X, and if there's a way I can be helpful for my church family doing that, great. But I'm also willing to do Y if that's better. And so our church is organised the way it is with ministry teams heavily involved with order, with order, with structures, because we think it's really good for our mission. Uh, but more than that, because it's good for our own spiritual health, uh, spiritual health as disciples, for us all to be involved in serving each other. So I'm pretty confident I could work out ways to run a church with less than 30 people serving each week. We could be really efficient, actually. We could get the numbers of people serving right down. We could get things ticking over just fine by all doing far less. We could all carry less responsibility and things would be okay. It might sound good, actually, to do less, but do you realise that would be an absolute disaster if that was our goal? It would be a disaster for our mission and it would be a disaster for our health as disciples if we're trying to do less serving of each other. See, growing in the way we serve is a huge part of growing as disciples of the great servant Jesus who came not to be served but to serve. It would be terrible for each of us if we aimed to do less ministry amongst each other. And so on that point, I have good news that might sound at first like bad news. Um, in God's great kindness, we have, uh, since we started about 18 months ago, we've continued to have heaps of people join us uh, and get underway serving in our ministry teams. And praise God for that. It's a huge answer to prayer uh, that God has grown our church family with precious brothers and sisters. It's wonderful. Now, some of you, especially the engineers, the, the accountants among you, might be doing the maths. You might be thinking, well, surely now there are more people around, uh, we can all do a bit less. Uh, surely, actually, we don't need me as much than, as compared to when we started 18 months ago. Uh, surely my gifts aren't as valuable with so many people around now who can do the same thing. Well, I want to say the good news is that maths is wrong. Uh, as a church grows in number, as God has been doing in, uh, in our midst, uh, the good news is, as we grow in number, there are even more ministry opportunities for us all. It might sound counterintuitive, I know, but in a larger church, there are far more ways we can serve each other. And I know this might sound like bad news if you're feeling exhausted. Uh, there are plenty of people who have been running very hard, and we do encourage you to come talk to us and make some changes if you need to. We don't want people crashing and burning. But I'll just give you an example of how this works. Uh, if, in God's kindness, we continue, uh, well, if we survive this winter first, if we're all alive at the end of winter, and keep growing in number as the way we have been, uh, sometime next year, we'll likely have around 200 people with us each week. Uh, most weeks at the moment, it's about 160 people or, or thereabouts. Um, bacon and egg seems to draw a few more out each week for some reason, but there we are. Uh, but 200 people would be uh, one day where we're sort of heading. Uh, many of you would have been around for our carol service last year. Uh, that had something like 200 people here. Uh, it was a great event. Uh, one of the things that struck me is, like, that's a lot of people. It doesn't feel like this 160, 200, doesn't feel that different, but it is. Just the dynamic and the way the room feels is extraordinarily different. I was thinking about it afterwards. Our welcoming teams, with that many people, will never know 
Who's new? Uh, if we just keep doing things the way we do them. More importantly, to help a new person feel new, to help them meet people, start building relationships, again, like, we can't just keep doing what we're doing. We need to make some changes. We need to keep upping the way we do ministry to help new people join us, to feel loved and feel connected. Imagine the thought, with that many people here each Sunday, how many more kids there will be? Uh, they will need more kids leaders. And imagine if the staff team, if we thought the staff team were responsible for welcoming, uh, if the staff team were responsible for caring and making people feel loved, like, we've got no hope, actually, do we? No, ch no chance. It's enough, actually, to keep a pastor awake at night if I was thinking it's my job to do all that ministry. So we do need to be organised and purposeful in the way we run our formal ministries uh, to reach new people and to grow as disciples. I just want to say, if you're looking for new ways to serve, if you're looking for ways to get more involved, fantastic. Uh, we have holes everywhere, and the good news is we always will have holes everywhere, uh, perhaps even more so as we keep growing, which means there will be no shortage of opportunities to serve. In fact, uh, the opposite is what we're hoping for, because our prayer is that all of us might engage more and more uh, that we might want to and, and indeed put more time and energy and prayer into serving others in the year ahead uh, where that's possible. Uh, a third big implication here is, and this is perhaps the obvious one for us all, um, this is the question, what can we be doing to use our God-given gifts to serve each other? Uh, Jesus has really given us some incredible gifts here at Tonsley. Uh, we have amazing musicians, incredible cooks, people who have great social skills, uh, passion for evangelism, and so on and so on. Uh, some of you bring some incredible uh, skills from your professional life, be it leadership or strategic thinking, communication, design, incredible gifting. Uh, we shouldn't forget, should never forget, uh, the less obvious but are just as valuable, just as precious gifts as well. I mentioned the gift of humble willingness to do the unglamorous, uh, the gift of teachability, the ability to encourage the gift of having time to pray, even the gift of a hard life situation where you can be, be a massive encouragement to those around. It's the way you persevere and keep putting Jesus first. These are all great gifts that God has given us. So as much as we hope to provide formal ways for everyone who belongs here to be involved in ministry, uh, we, we, just, we do want to encourage everyone to be part of a ministry team. But formal ministry is, I think, a much smaller piece of how we serve each other in our lives. There are countless ways, crucial ways, that we serve each other informally. I've mentioned many of those ways already, uh, praying for each other, uh, perhaps just thoughtfully working out where to sit each week so we can sit with someone new and welcome them, maybe inviting someone home to lunch, uh, catching up for some, with someone for coffee during the week, and so on. I am uh, just so thankful uh, for not just the gifts Jesus has given us, but by the many ways I've been used to serve uh, one another here at Tonsley. Uh, so much initiative gets taken. Uh, people happily take on responsibility. We have a precious culture of serving. We should keep thanking God for that. And so if we're going to keep growing as disciples and to be built up as a church, we'll need to keep reflecting on how we are serving others. And with the capacity God has given us in the season of life we are, we should keep asking that question. How do we seek to keep growing in the way that we use our gifts? Now, if you jump down to verses 13 to 14 here, you'll see how Paul traces out how good it is how good it is when a church fed by the word does that serving of each other. It means we get to grow in unity. How precious that is in a world that's full of chaos and division. What a great word, unity. 
And we also get to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. I reckon this is a great picture of church for us to aspire to. Verse 14, Paul gives a really vivid and it's kind of an alarming illustration really of what happens if we don't grow. Being like infants at the mercy of the wind and the waves. It's an alarming image, isn't it? Being blown around by the wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their cunning schemes. Uh, we really do live in a spiritually dangerous world, and it's so dangerous, uh, so crafty and cunning and deceitful, we don't even realise most of the time how dangerous it is. But serving each other uh, keeps us growing so that we're not vulnerable. That's what Paul's telling us here. As we serve each other, we grow in the knowledge of truth. And I guess that's one of the reasons we think that ministry works best in teams. That's why we've organised things to run in teams, instead of having something like rosters. Um, we think ministry happens best in relationship. Uh, there's a great opportunity to, sh- to chat and to share life, uh, even pray for each other as we move around chairs or, or make morning tea. Uh, we get to talk about how life is going with Jesus and encourage each other. Serving with others on teams provides a great opportunity to grow together in maturity. And I hear great stories of how some of our teams catch up uh, for coffee during the week. They talk, they pray, they encourage. Um, it goes far beyond just getting a job done, doesn't it? And I think we all need those relationships. Uh, we need those sorts of relationships in our growth groups, but also uh, in our ministry teams, or at least just having some informal relationships where we get to have those uh, conversations, that prayer. Those sorts of uh, services to each other help us grow, uh, stay safe and secure against the danger of false narratives, uh, the kind of things that would damage our discipleship and our trust in Jesus. Uh, maybe the dominant dangerous, dangerous narrative in our culture is that each one of us should be seeking our own personal happiness as the most important thing. That seems to be boiling down what the world tells us, uh, a consumer mindset uh, that leads to a dog-eat-dog kind of world. I hope you can see a real beautiful contrast here in the Bible. Uh, Jesus invites us out of that competition, that dog-eat-dog kind of world, and into a community. It's not perfect, not at all. Uh, not a perfect community, but a community of diverse people that are all united uh, by a common mind to do first what's good for others and then what's good for me. And so a community, or, or here the body, is one where every single part is valued and every single part is treasured. That's so, un- that's so unlike our world, isn't it? Where only the, really the top dog gets the honour, uh, not so in the church. See, our service, the way we serve, is not about my personal happiness, Uh, It's not about performing. It's not about some sort of hierarchy. You sort of work your way up. It's not even about pulling our weight as part of the church family. Uh, It's about grace. It's about love. And we have something so special and so unique in our world. Have a look again from verse 16. We're told, From him, Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, here's a comprehension question. Uh, if you've got that open in front of you, who or what grows the body in verse 16? Who or what grows the body in verse 16? It's worth a double take, actually. It doesn't say the leaders grow the church. It doesn't even say Jesus grows the church. It says that the body, the whole body grows and builds itself up. In case you're a bit worried about my theology here and the precision of me saying Jesus, it's not Jesus growing the body, he does, God does give the growth, but he does that by giving gifts to his people to serve each other. So it's right to say that the body, 
under Christ the head, builds itself up as every single part works together. Uh, in the whole variety of the ways the king is gifted to do that, from triceps to to- toenails, from lungs to legs, uh, we need each other uh, and we need you, each doing their part. Do you see what this means? If church was just a community organisation, community organization, just a big social club with some content to consume each week, you'd probably come along expecting some kind of experience. Um, songs should be the ones I like in such and such a way. Coffee should be served so-and-so. The sermon should hit these seven boxes, tick these seven boxes for me. And if not, I guess I'll just go down uh, to the church down the road next time I need a spiritual kick. Ephesians 4 says we are not consumers of church, but that we are participants. And so the language of body building here, I think it's fair to say that the church is kind of like a spiritual gym. Uh, It's not a place to consume. It's not even a place to do work. It's a place to work out, actually. I think that means that our expectations of church experience is one that engages us and and it stretches us because we're participating. It means during our service, you might be brought to repentance by something that's taught from God's word. Uh, You'll have a go at encouraging others. Uh, You'll sing, contribute to the joyful noise we make. Uh, You look out to welcome someone you don't know so well. Some weeks, all of that will feel costly, and sometimes it will feel like a real workout, but that's how we grow. Actually, we've been joking on the setup and pack-up team, and it does feel like an actual workout uh, some mornings. There's uh, plenty of calories to burn as we're moving things around. It feels like we should be charging gym membership to be part of our setup team, actually. But the thing is, we're not just here to get something done and go home. Uh, we're not even here to help each other get a job done. Uh, we're here to stretch together and grow in our spiritual strength because the body grows the body. So my encouragement uh, to wrap this all up is to praise God firstly, praise God for the many, many incredible acts of service here at Tonsley each week, be it formal, be it informal, be it up the front or behind the scenes in ways that no one will ever know. It's evidence, isn't it, that God really is at work through his people doing extraordinary things. The fact that we're bucking the trend of our country with you know, less and less volunteers, it, it's astounding to see what God is doing here. And so do... Be encouraged in the ministries you're involved in, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Remember, this is each of us doing our part and we need each one. So be encouraged. God is showing off through our efforts to the universe, his wisdom and his power. So I want to leave us all with this question. It's at the bottom of your leaflet if you're taking notes. Um, 2024, it's come out pretty quick. Uh, I mean, it's still a few months away, but now is kind of the time to start doing that planning and that thinking, that talking, that praying about next year. And the question is, what could serving others best look like for you in 2024? What could serving others best look like for you in 2024? Uh, Could it involve stepping up and uh, changing the way, uh, growing in the way you serve? Could it involve taking on more responsibility for something or perhaps just taking more initiative in the informal parts of serving others? There might be other things in life that we need to sort of uh, move around to free up time or energy to, to really stretch and grow in the way that we serve. Should say, of course, maybe this is not possible to do anything different, and perhaps uh, a good way for you to serve next year is to do less. That's entirely appropriate. Uh, there may be all sorts of good reasons for that. In fact, for some, it might mean doing less in one area to free you up to do more in another. Whatever it looks like for each of us, uh, let's keep giving God great thanks that He's given us a wonderful church body to be part of. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, most of all for your grace and for the salvation that you offer us in your Son. 
Thank you so much for your wisdom and care for us. And that you save us into a church family where we can all work together to build one another up. Please do that work of growing us and building us up in health. We thank you for each and every person who calls Tonsley home, each that you've led to be uh, here with us. We pray each one of us would find ways to serve and honour you, that you might grow us in unity and love and knowledge, and that you'd help us become more like Christ in every way. We ask this in his name. Amen.